and welcome to the Money Magic Podcast with Vangile Makwakwa. This is the podcast where we talk about trauma and how it affects our finances and our lives. I help women of color unlock ancestral wisdom so they can fall in love with their bank accounts, increase income, and live their best lives. This podcast was birthed when I started having conversations with private clients and students in my online courses about the remarkable shifts they'd had in their finances and started receiving feedback and updates from people on how these conversations were helping them understand their family dynamics and financial behavior. I've seen how unlocking ancestral wisdom has helped me pay off $60,000 in debt, buy property, launch and grow my company Wealthy Money into a six-figure business in US dollars as I travel and live in various countries on the globe. I've lived in over eight countries and traveled to many more as I built this company. My intention with this podcast is to provide you with weekly episodes that help you understand the importance of healing and help you understand your relationship with money better so you can start making different financial decisions and creating a life you love for yourself and future generations. So without further ado, let's get started and dive into this week's episode. How are you? So welcome to episode 56 of the Money Magic Podcast. If you've just joined us, my name is Wangilo Makwakwa and I help women of color heal ancestral money trauma so that they can fall in love with their bank accounts, increase income and live their best lives. I'm also the author of Heart, Mind and Money Using Emotional Intelligence for Financial Success. So you guys have heard me interview various um, people who are in my mastermind and I've been talking a lot about this mastermind in the US. You've uh, seen Lisa come on on this show and talk about it, Lisa Kuzman, you've heard Casey talk about this, you've also heard Agnes come through and share her experiences about the mastermind. I have actually got the woman on here, our coach who runs the mastermind. You guys have heard us probably refer to her in other episodes. Well, she is on here now. So welcome, Lisa. Thank you so much for saying yes to this interview. Of course, absolutely. I had no idea that the mastermind women were coming through. I love it. <laughs> I love We've that. already had awesome discussions. They've been interviewed. It's been amazing. Oh my goodness. Okay, well I can't wait We've to check out. We've spoken about you. We've spoken about the mastermind. <laughs> you were so you had no clue this was all going on. I did not, but I love it. I love that's why we gather as women, right? To support each other. So I'm just loving that you all were connecting and sharing and I can't wait to check out this episode. <laughs> oh my gosh, they their interviews have been incredible. You'll listen to some of them. I'm sure as they go out, you probably after by the time this is, you've seen some of the interviews. In mm. fact, I think Casey's is coming out in about Four weeks, three weeks. Yeah. Oh, cool. Okay. So, so interesting. Three weeks from when we're recording, right? Yeah. So it's awesome. So 
I just wanted to say before we even launch into things, people have had have heard snippets of this mastermind, what we do, etc. Please tell us about who you are, what do you do, how do you describe yourself as a human being, <laughs> what are your hobbies, all that stuff. <laughs> that is shifting big. Um, <laughs> uh, in fact, actually, my my personal. The way I've been referencing myself of most recent, and certainly by the time this airs, is really leaning into my identity as a shapeshifter mm. and kind of letting go of other identities. In fact, much of my adulthood has been the willingness to let go of identities that either were, were projected onto me at a young age or I internalized somewhere in my youth. And so, you know, I can give the official credibility stats. <laughs> I'll do that. <laughs> but when you ask the question, that is where I truly went. So I wanted to be authentic to... No, please go there. I mean, we've had people define themselves as a, a curious souls, whatever. Like, your definition is whatever you make of it. We've had all like sorts of different uh, like descriptions on here so this is i'm like what you do and how you define yourself as a human being or as a soul mm. or spirit whichever yeah <laughs> well the so now it's coming to me and i'll loop it all in um is that i understand myself to exist on this planet in this lifetime for two reasons one to support the elevation of voices that have been unheard in the world, in society, um, be it through systemic oppression and systemic erasure, um, ignoring, dismissing of various peoples, um, and two, to support the use of expression as a vehicle of healing, of growth, of liberation, and of collective empowerment. And this mastermind, which you've heard of now, <laughs> the All Access Mastermind, um, the reason that I created it was to pour into women who are truly creating leadership in really unique ways. Um, and what I want to see for all of us, self-included, is to understand that the gifts we uniquely hold are the exact gifts that the people around us, that the world needs. And when we're willing to show up with those gifts, whatever they are, and express them, that is when we are in our highest service and thereby our highest leadership. Um, so I look at leadership, as a leadership coach, I look at leadership um, as something that all of us have, not a title that someone gives you. Um, so I think that is my highest service, uh, the ways people will be seeing me on the interwebs <laughs> is that. I love, love that. Oh, thank you. Oh um, my gosh. And I think you do that so well, by the way. You definitely embody that. It's beautiful. I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> you know, like, um, I just want you to also share around the mastermind because ah, people have heard me share all about it throughout so uh maybe not so much on this podcast because i knew i'd be interviewing you uh but also just around um how you've i've never had i tell everyone that i've never had 
a mastermind that is structured the way that your mastermind is structured, right? Like you hold space for uh, women of color and white women, and then you separate us into parts and then you bring us together. And I found that to be extremely healing for me where I've been in masterminds where I shared with you when I, so guys, when I came to Lisa, I was like, I just want a woman, a woman of color to be the one leading the mastermind for me because in other masterminds, I felt like I disappeared and then like mm. people that looked like me were not given a voice. So right. what Nothing. led you to create this mastermind? Was that the same thinking behind that? Was that yeah. the same kind of thinking that people, women of color need a place where they can have a voice and be heard because our issues are sometimes different and unique to us and when exactly. we sometimes bring up certain things it's like you get glazed eyes and it can be so uncomfortable if you're literally the only one in the mastermind that looks like right. that you're like but my market is literally the african continent and you have just spoken about nothing but America. Right. <laughs> How can I relate to this? Like, what are you talking about? That will work in your market. And then it feels like, right. and I've always felt like it's been received as often. I felt like it was received as, well, maybe you're just not thinking positive enough or, uh. well, that's a market that's so strange. We can't even begin to even imagine it, which I told you that that was my yeah, when I started in the mastermind, I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm so glad that, one, that you accepted it despite the fear. And I can imagine everyone listening also is, too. And that's the, speaking of which, you are already doing it, right? There are people listening mm -hmm. who have followed you for years. So, yeah. you know, we only came together a year ago. And that's the other thing that's I believe is so fun about our gifts is that we're already living them, even when we're in fear of living them in a particular way. Um, oh, that's so interesting. You know, you sorry to interrupt this, but no, you remind me of Oprah. I remember listening to an Oprah interview, and Oprah said she would be Oprah even if she was selling shoes. And she used the shoe ah. lady example. I remember that. And she said she believes that if she was a shoe saleswoman, she would have been the best shoe saleswoman that there was because she would do it as Oprah. <laughs> exactly right and we're always going to show up the, as our best selves when we remember that yeah. when we don't um when we don't shift ourselves because of who's around us mm -hmm. and i too of course as probably many <laughs> people <laughs> many of my black women people of color just um you know showing up in spaces that we're the only or the one of very few or even if there are multiple people it's or even a majority potentially that there is some other voice that's potentially leading the way or holding the space or getting the most attention the most resources etc i mean this is literally what we see in the world mm -hmm. today we live in a really eurocentric and in many ways american-centric us-centric world mm -hmm. um through cultural imperialism so yes it's because we humans are social beings and we grow up in, you know, with family members, with the village, with community, there is this really important mechanism of us belonging 
And as a result of that, and also as a result of even how we learn, so I'm trained as a linguist, even how we learn our first language is through imitation, mm. right? We're imitating what our parents or guardians or whoever's around us is saying. Mm. And because of this mechanism that is really supportive for our initial learning, which is mm. imitation, which is being like the others, yeah. it can be in direct conflict to the use of our gifts that are unique to us and showing up and expressing those in a way that doesn't look like anything we've ever seen yes. and because we've been so socialized to make sure that we're showing up in a way that has us quote fit in or belong because that is a strong human social need it can feel like there's conflict which you know makes the fear so clear of <laughs> like of course it's scary if you've never let yourself deviate because you've learned that the safety, the security, the belonging is coming from the being a part of and being a part mm -hmm. of in many places, not all, but in many communities is by being similar to the others or acting similarly to the others. Mm -hmm. And a big part of why I created the mastermind is to, and I want to speak to the, the pods that you mentioned as well. Yeah. Um, but the main thing was, to, and it's called the all access mastermind. The main thing is really to see women be in their unique gifts, which is why we have the private coaching element, yeah. and be willing to show up with those in community, which is why we come back together. Mm -hmm. And to your point, as we women of color, black women, as we know, <laughs> um, when we're in community with people who are like us, when gosh, it's such like a respite <laughs> from so many things in the world when we can yeah. say something and be understood. Um, yeah. So it was, um, as an anti-racist educator, making sure that I prioritize the most marginalized identity voices in the room mm -hmm. is of my utmost priority. And by the mm -hmm. way, I highlight the word identity because in systemic, in a system that is oppressive, the identity is what gets marginalized. Not, I personally do not feel marginalized. Yes. And I make this yes. distinction because without the distinction, it can be really disempowering. Well, I'm black, therefore I'm supposed to be marginalized. I'm supposed yes. to be poor. I'm supposed to not be educated in the same way. I'm not supposed to have the same access to resources, etc. The yes. system is what teaches that, right? And it has examples of that apartheid. I mean, my goodness, there are examples all over the world. Yeah when we're willing to make that distinction and go, oh, it's, that's the identity. Mm -hmm. I'm still going to show up in my most powerful. It is still okay for me to show up in my most powerful mm -hmm. being and self and have that normalized by other sisters and women and folks who share this identity that I share, mm -hmm. right? This outward facing yes. identity yes. so that we can normalize the experience of being empowered in a system that systematically, systemically perpetuates oppression. Um, mm. And so that is the reason that we would break into these pods based on identity and then come back together. So that it's really three levels. It's the, the, the private experience where we are really 
going into almost excavating like where's the gift like we're uncovering all the crap (laughs) (laughs) like we're bringing out the specific unique gifts we're coming together in sisterhood with those who share a similar identity right because Mm -hmm. as we know similar um issues and things that we're working through shared cultural references or understandings Mm -hmm. even if our specific tribes villages um experiences are different there are still shared similarities based on the greater um, like outer view of our identity. And then of course, coming together um, with all the women and particularly, again, as I mentioned, my focus on elevating the voices that have not been heard. Mm. When I created the mastermind, what I really wanted to see is the black women and the women of color have an experience of truly being prioritized in a mixed space. Yes, I love that actually. It was one of the things that I truly loved, right? And that I keep loving about the mastermind is that, again, I never feel like my voice disappears and is not heard, you know? I think... I find it interesting that in the coaching space where we talk, where most coaches talk about trauma, they never touch on racial trauma and they never see it as perpetuated even in their work. Right. That really shocks me to be perfectly frank. You know, it's like, you can't talk, I feel like you can't talk about trauma without talking about systemic trauma. You can't talk about trauma without talking about patriarchy and racism because these things have impacted us so actually a lot of coaches are willing especially white women coaches are willing to talk about the patriarchy but they'll never ever wave into race right and ever like look at race as a trauma because it makes them uncomfortable so in that way you have not done your work because the work isn't supposed to be so comfortable. Of course, it's going to be uncomfortable. And like, if you're holding space for me, and I'm talking about ancestral trauma, and then you say that you're doing ancestral healing, you need to acknowledge that at some point, there's going to be a thing that comes up with my ancestors and how your ancestors (laughs) have perpetuated some types of oppressive systems towards my ancestors and that they'll yeah. be, we have to be able to hold that space. Yes. Like if someone has, so I've always wondered about that. Are you truly doing trauma work if you don't acknowledge how systems impact and societies and how society is being built, how it impacts an individual and leads to trauma, how it aids in traumatizing us as individuals? Exactly. So well said. And yeah, most people aren't. <laughs> the answer is no for a lot of people, right? There's people are like willing to look at certain types of traumas and not others. To your point, um, and that was another thing with with the mastermind. Um, <laughs> it's very long, explicit um, set of rules and boundaries that all would abide by, namely the white women, yeah. um, in order to be in the space. And one for one, understanding that that was not the place to unpack any of that. (laughs) I loved those rules, by the way. When I read that, I was like, oh, God, thank you. I will not have to deal with microaggressions. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Right. 
<laughs> yeah, so nobody would even, you know, it's a high ticket mastermind. Nobody would even think to join after reading that yeah. if they were caught up in some of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and with a few of the women, um, white women, when we had our call for them to join, there were questions of like, I really want to make sure that I'm not doing this. Um, or, you know, not causing harm unintentionally. Um, so like some fear around, right. Not unintentionally causing Mm -hmm. harm. And because I personally am such a fierce protector. I was like, if you say something, you'll get swat down (laughs) before you have any chance to elaborate. (laughs) Um, and, and actually, that has not happened, I think, in the larger groups. No, um, it's also why it's great for them to have as well that pod, because there mm-hmm. have been times when it's come up there, which is an yeah. absolutely appropriate time for it to come mm-hmm. up, right? Again, a shared experience based on their identity. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we also have other program, uh, another program that they get access to, to learn how to do their work. Um, mm-hmm. so, oh, wow, that's beautiful. Yeah, yeah, I wasn't taking anyone without that commitment. Because to your point, if you're going to call yourself a transformational leader, (laughs) and particularly as a coach, a healer, a guide, to pretend that you are facilitating transformation inside of a system where oppression exists without addressing that oppression is exactly that, is pretending. Yes. Oh my God. Thank you. Thank you. Like, oh my gosh. So guys, anyone that knows me and follows my work on Facebook has followed me. You understand why I'm in love with this mastermind, right? You understand why I so enjoyed it because it's all this. I just, I feel like this is such incredible work. So Lisa, I know that you started off in as a linguist. And now you're here, you're helping leaders become better leaders and teaching us about equity and transformation and all this incredible stuff and finding our sole purpose and leaning more into it. How do you come to do this work? Oh, good question. (laughs) I think I was... um, How do you start from linguist to here? Like, I mean, Wow. (laughs) You know, it's funny, I haven't thought of it in exactly that way. How did I come to this place? And I I think it was my own realization, my own journey of being in the wrong places with my gifts. Um, so uh, for context, <laughs> I figured more about my quote identities would come out as we go along. So I'm trained yeah, as a- Please, friend. I was about to say, do you want to share about your gifts as well? <laughs> Because people need to know, guys, Lisa plays the djembe drums. And I feel like I told her, I feel like my soul is splitting apart. We've had sessions where like I just fall asleep because like my entire ancestors are like, just sleep, child. This is what she's now doing in the mastermind. And I'll be like, oops, sorry, missed most of the session because you played the drums. And my, like, my being could not take this. But that's exactly what was, you know, like what you needed in the moment was that. So kudos <laughs> to you for letting yourself have it. I mean, that's that's so much of the thing too, right? When we talk about being willing to show up in the world as ourselves and, mm. and step into our highest calling and, and say yes, mm. it is often letting ourselves do the thing that we didn't think we're supposed to do, yeah. right? Or that we could do. Um, 
And so my journey to answer the question around, so I'm trained as a forensic linguist. Uh, if that's a new phrase, it's essentially the application of linguistics, the study of language to the law and legal system. And um, the most famous case that involved this kind of work is an American guy called, well, he wasn't American, but in the US called the <laughs> Unabomber. Um, I won't give the whole story. He sent bombs with messages. He wasn't doing the best stuff, but <laughs> long story short. I think um, it's actually a story of him on Netflix, I believe. So there, yeah, and there are lots yeah. of podcasts, Netflix. Yeah, um, yeah. So it does exist out there. Um, <laughs> but basically the linguistic evidence, the letters that this person wrote, the words that they used, mm -hmm. they were highly, um, highly educated. So they had a lot to say. Um, and basically, because they have a lot to say, um, what's so cool about forensic linguistics is that you can actually understand a lot of information about a person by the language that they use. Written, spoken, doesn't matter. Signed, doesn't matter. Oh, wow. um, and so the study of forensic linguistics supports understanding things in cases, legal cases, where there's linguistic evidence. Who wrote that? Who was the perpetrator? Who said all the da da da? Oh my goodness. So as one could potentially imagine, that's heavy. <laughs> it's like my very last case, um, I'm feeling, if you're a visual, super visual person, I invite you to um, think of bunnies while I say this, because <laughs> this is heavy. The very last case that I was, um, Oh boy, that I was analyzing. The linguistic evidence was language, was writing on the wall in the victim's blood. <gasps> and so we had the pictures of the words and that was, uh, yeah, that was <laughs> what and I was looking at. Like, I can imagine why you were just like, I'm done. Yes, exactly. I, yeah, okay, that makes <laughs> that ended. Um and then I was in this corporate, corporate-esque world. I wasn't in the corporate world. I was on the edge of it as an interpreter at corporate trade shows. So I was flown around the world to do this. Um, a man actually came up to me once, never seen him before or since, but came up to me once, probably in my second to last year of doing that work. I don't remember his exact words, but it was something to the effect of, we both know you're not supposed to be here. Wow. And he just kept walking. And it was very much um, like the message was transmitted. I received the, and you I think am not the best We're South African, South Africans listening to this. So we might as well just get there. You think this man was human? <laughs> I'm so grateful for that. Because I don't want to get the questions asked after this podcast. <laughs> he appeared human, but yes. Um, I've had a number of angels show up like that that I very much appreciate. Uh, even as recently as three weeks ago in LA. Um, oh. said nothing. Oh, it was so beautiful. He said nothing. It was in a gas station. He, was, he pulled up behind me. I turned. He was just staring. And it wasn't, you know, there's like the, the creepy man who stares or the man who's interested in stares. And it was so energetically clear to me that that was not that. He was simply there to affirm me on the path. Um, 
Yeah, I, I feel chills remembering. I just oh, I just remember as I drove off just crying. I was like, okay, like, I'm listening. Thank you. Oh, um, and he even God. even after I pulled out as I was leaving the uh, the station, I saw mm -hmm. him look at me again. And it was just yeah, such an affirming, strong, secure presence. It was so beautiful, so 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 beautiful. Oh my God. Um, but the the way I got here, where I am today is through a lot of trusting and listening to the gifts and being willing to shed the identities that said I needed to stay in the linguistic realm in that way, or I needed to stay doing the corporate stuff, or I needed mm -hmm. to stay, even when I first started coaching, I was coaching as a, a uh, women's uh, relation, love and relationship coach. Um, and so I put myself, it's like we put ourselves in these little boxes. <laughs> so I was like, putting myself in these boxes. And yeah. the thing that got me to where I am today is being willing to step out of them, willing mm -hmm. to shed an identity that fueled a limiting belief that said, I have to stay here because I, quote, quote, unquote, I am blank. Therefore, mm -hmm. I must operate by blank rules and I must mm -hmm. carry these like blank beliefs. Yes. And the point where I am now is, you know, I identify as a musician and an artist. I host the music medicine membership, yeah. um, which yes, does. Was was I, that. That. I mean, I just told them about the jamba drum splitting my soul into pieces. <laughs> <laughs> every time, guys, every time. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah, so it's just, um, using in my case the gift of voice to mm -hmm. and i have i keep playing with the scarf because it has all these music notes on it um <laughs> so i am here for music and voice and expression um mm -hmm. because the thing is when we and please as you're listening to this you know feel free to close your eyes and imagine this for yourself what this what your version of this is mm -hmm. but when we are creating in whatever form you create, when you are creating, you are in your place of power. Mm. You are tapping into the universal creation. Yeah. And you get to literally see how powerful you are, how much of a manifester you are. Wow. Not because you have some expectation of the thing that you're going to create, but just because you decided to do it and you let something come out of you, mm. right? Whether it's something you're writing, singing, visual arts, birthing an actual human, <laughs> birthing a business, birthing a new idea of how you're going to, um, you know, meet your money goals, birthing the exodus of ancestry held trauma that you've carried in the womb or you've carried somewhere in your body or your, or your code encoding um that is when you're in your power when you're creating mm -hmm. and so letting that form of expression whatever it be to support guiding the healing guiding the growth that is what i've found from all of these different places that i've externally been in terms of identity the job the title whatever um even as an anti-racist uh trainer and educator and I do have a consultancy around diversity, equity, and inclusion. 
um, I fit myself into that box for a while. <laughs> I remember just sat there and there's nothing wrong for clarity of having these specific titles. Labels are very important for human understanding, right? We give something a label yep. so that we can process it. Um, and sometimes when we finally have a label for something, I'm like, oh, you know, it's it's fulfilling because our brain it makes can it easier to about. understand what the heck this person is about. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so definitely want to uplift the importance of that. Yeah. And when we attach a meaning to it that says, "I have to stay here," mm. and I I can't go anywhere else. That is when the label is no longer supportive, mm. right? So. The idea, especially as folks who carry marginalized identities, the idea that like, oh yeah, I'm supposed to not have access to that thing that all those other people have access to. Yep. I'm gonna put this person, there's somebody, I'm just gonna keep it 100 and you'll know when I say this, there is somebody listening right now who puts you, Vanille, on a pedestal because you are a black woman and you've done it in their eyes. Yeah. And that pedestalization, or I call it pedestalization, is a means of keeping yourself saying, okay, well, I can't do it because and of my she beliefs. Can, right? She can, because she did something else, because she's got something yeah. else on her. And I am here to say, to tell you, I don't, yeah, who, who I, I'm here to tell you that you can do the thing yeah. and not in this bs like positive rah-rah that americans are known for <laughs> yeah. Yeah. i'm here to tell you that whatever belief whether it's conscious to you right now or not yeah. whatever belief is connected to your identity that says oh that's not me thereby i don't do that yeah. and the thing that you're saying you don't do is something you want to do yep that's a place where you can excavate you know, what is the identity that's that I'm holding on to that's telling what's the label about myself I'm holding on to that's telling me this is not possible. And I want to give an exact context. Um, so that doesn't feel so theoretical. When I first started, this is about love. When I first started coaching uh, women, I realized most of the women I were working with uh, was working with were single, and they wanted partners. Yes. That makes sense. <laughs> I signed up for a relationship coach. They're simple, they want a partner. Okay. Um, I had a relationship coach. <laughs> heck yeah. Um, and that's another thing. People are not shown positive examples of how to relate. That's a whole that's a whole other podcast. But anyway. Actually, uh, yes. Actually, my entire relationship coaching wasn't just about romantic relationships. It was a lot to do with just relationship in, in general. I was like, yes. Why does no one teach us this? How to be a better sibling? How to be a better friend? Yeah. How to be a better human for society as well? <laughs> Nobody well, I mean, it starts with the relationship to ourselves. It's, I mean, okay, mm -hmm. everything is relationship. Right mm -hmm. now, so many who are listening and follow this podcast, you're concerned about your relationship to money, your relationship yeah. to the beliefs, your relationship to your ancestors. Yeah. Um, so relationship does underlie everything. And this example that I want to share about um, these women who were single, not wanting to be single is this. Mm -hmm. We would usually come to a point where we would find that their identity as a single woman was so strong 
that to have a partner would be the death mm. of that identity and thereby the death of some part of them. Mm. And they weren't willing to do that. Does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense. Actually, as you're talking about this, <laughs> it also just reminds me of a coaching session that we had um, where you were talking about the death of the parts of me that have struggled and me not wanting to let them go because like I'm so used to the struggle and like right. the constant needing to heal the wounded parts of me that like it was it's been scary like I'm still in the process of that <laughs> I'm hoping to completely allow them to integrate and let them just die their natural death as they integrate into my entire <laughs> system but like these parts of me don't want that identity of the struggle yeah. who struggles financially who struggles who works hard like yeah. that identity is at odds with the ease with the expansion which we've spoken about like that I find it so hard to step into the expensive part of me. And the huge part of that is around that. It's so funny. Like this is like yeah. the second time I'm talking about this today. I've I'm glad because this is real. Today, before this recording with the, with a friend. And it's just okay. like, wow. So it's still definitely working through that. So to keep the identity alive to do the opposite of what you want, like to get yeah. the man or exactly. to the finances and the money would mean to, you have to let this identity go because yes. that is stepping into the new identity. Now the new identity that is you is the expensive identity mm -hmm. and uh, relationshiping identity. So yeah, I get what you're saying. <laughs> Totally. I, yeah, I appreciate that example, too, because, gosh, that's so relevant. I think that's even more relevant. I'm sure there are single women listening, but like this is even more relevant. This, the connection to struggle, yeah. not only because of a personal identity that we keep around it, but because mm -hmm. speaking of things that are in the system and in society, mm. we and I see this a lot with black women. And when I say black women, I mean, from all places where we find black people. Period. Yeah. Um, the ability to connect more easily around struggle, like to connect with each other socially, right? Yes. As opposed to connecting from a place of full abundance, of queendom, of mm. everything is, um, and not like the fake independent woman, but the truly like feeling abundant place. And mm. I think we don't know how to do that, to be honest, Lisa. Like when I was at, when I was hosting my Thai retreat, um, my co-host, who's also, who was also at that retreat, Mizo, she said, uh, my property podcast co-host, guys, I run two podcasts. So one of it is with my co-host Mizo for the property podcast. And she said something powerful at that retreat. And she was crying as she was saying this. She was like, it's scary to expand because 
Black women know how to hold each other in struggle, but we don't know how to hold each other in expansion. So we know how to come together for our funerals, for men beating us up, for all that drama, but we don't know. And you see it also even on social media. We don't know how to come together for your man is treating you so well, you know, all that stuff. We don't know how to deal with that. And so there's so much fear around that. And it's actually, it's funny with this identity as I've been like working on it and it's so strong. Part of it is that fear, right? Is that if I now fully, fully allow this identity to heal and integrate and I'm just like, now I'm looking into full on magic and I'm just going then, yeah. oh, my God, nobody will want to be around me. I will be unidentifiable. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> right? And yeah. then, like, I don't want to deal with snarky comments like, ooh, now you think you're white. Or, oh, my God, you're being bougie, etc." cetera. Okay. Yes. <gasps> yes. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And the other thing, too, those comments are real. Yes. Um, yeah. Those people, P.S., if you experience that or you're that person... <laughs> opportunity to check yourself and to see where your own need to hold this identity is playing in um if you're around people like that as you're starting to experience success it doesn't mean you have to i'm a lot of people talk about just like dropping your old circle um and i want to say it doesn't mean that you have to drop anyone um there is an opportunity to invite them in to it and have that conversation and um and actually, I remember at this really important turning point on my own journey, literally talking to each of my family, like called them up one by one, my immediate family members, and said like, hey, um, I don't remember my exact language, but basically the way you've known me to act and behave is shifting. And so I just want you to understand what's coming and why. Wow. And what that does is it, you don't have to, you know, change their opinion. They could be like, whatever, she's still the same, <laughs> right? They can have whatever opinion they want. Yeah. But what you are doing, one, is inviting them to see you in that new light that you are claiming and stepping into. And two, it allows you to declare to them and also to the universe, this is who I'm choosing to be now. And mm. so they have the opportunity, the people that are close to you that you care about, they have an opportunity to get on board and support you in the, in the way that you need, right? Because why do we keep people close to us? Because in some way it's supporting us, right? Or it's supposed to be. <laughs> it yeah. feels good to be in community. So let's be in community with people who can support where we are and where we're going. Um, you know, and then, and then if someone can't show up for the truth of, of who you're becoming and that expression of who you're becoming, then yeah, they don't deserve your time period even if they're your mom or your whomever you know uh your sister your brother the the whichever thing um that's when ties can be cut and not saying to cut off completely but you energetically don't allow them into certain spaces and you get in community that normalizes what you're doing normalizes where you're going Mm-hmm. Um, I really appreciate you bringing up the struggle one. This is this is good. This, this is, is good. why I joined your mastermind, right? 
I mean, like at the time I didn't know your story guys. So like, I literally, I found out your entire money story later and like all this really cool stuff, which I will share in a minute. But like, I literally just was like, I was at my wits end. I was like, I need to get into community. And I mean, you know, this like guys, I literally was like, Lisa, I'm signing up within two days. I hadn't even asked the price. I was like, just consider me signed up. I'm in. We didn't even do a call, nothing. I was like, I'm game. Like, this is what I wanted because of that, right? The fear, it's funny because it's like I'm working through this for months and months, right? Because the identity is so strong, so strongly tied. And I've been that for so long. Like, oh my gosh, it's got to be a struggle. And I've been working through it and struggling and blah, blah, blah. So, <laughs> I have an alarm going off. I don't know if you can hear it. I'm just going to turn it off. <laughs> no, it's fine. So, I mean, for me, it was just so crazy because I got into community. I was very clear with myself. I want a Black woman who is thriving and in her power and all about sovereignty and living their best lives unapologetically without having to, you know, keep clinging to the struggle, but just Mm -hmm. being themselves so that my nervous system and my entire being could start to regulate and see that that was normal. That was a thing that is also possible for me. Because even as I've been expanding and traveling, and I've been doing this for years, there's still that. So I was like, I just want that to finally be integrated so that I can just step into this without constantly reaching into struggle, which was one of the things that we spoke about in the mastermind. Cause I was like, Oh my God, I always feel the need to bring up my travel, my struggle stories, etc. you know? And right. And now I'm just like, hey, even during COVID, I'm posting about my travels and everything. And I don't feel the guilt because I'm like, the truth is it would also be out. It would be unethical to bring up something that I'm not really experiencing when my truth is completely different. So I've got to live in that as well. You know, but I didn't know how to do that, especially because it's like I didn't know how to hold people um hold myself I'm, I was great at holding people in expansion but I didn't know how to hold myself mm. in expansion without you know <laughs> clinging on to the struggle story <laughs> yeah 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 and I also want to say too for um because I, I I've heard this actually quite a bit in sessions this week mm-hmm. uh, if I go to this expanded place I will, won't feel connection with these people anymore. Like I won't be able to relate to their struggle, one. And two, um, they're gonna, I, I'm gonna lose support because of it. Yes. Like people aren't gonna support me when I'm doing so well. Mm-hmm. Um, which is ultimately this, in this uh, particular folks case I'm remembering from sessions this week, it's ultimately this, uh, this identity of I must be saved or there, there's some like victimhood identity. Um, yeah. And I say this very, I want to be really clear when I say this, because in, in a world of systemic oppression, there are real victims, yeah. right? Yeah. Our ancestors have been real yeah. victims. And something that 
I cannot stand about the personal development industry is this idea of like, oh, you're being the victim um, <laughs> as like a shaming mechanism, like, oh, you're you're not being true or something. Yeah. something. How people will say, no, you're using like, yes, I get it about systemic oppression and all this, but don't you think you're using it as a crash or as an excuse? No, <laughs> like literally that is the i can't use these things as crutches or excuses <laughs> right <laughs> it, they're real things exactly um so so there's a place to understand as we know like real victimhood exists right if you are mm -hmm. the, if you experience something if some if somebody you know kills someone that person dies you can be like oh they're playing the victim like actually they're dead so there's no opportunity yeah. you know um yeah. And there's also the two sides of this. There's also a place where we can internalize that we are the victim, especially again, when we see it so clearly all the time in society, mm -hmm. there's a place where we can internalize that we are supposed to be in this place. Mm -hmm. Somebody else can come save us, hopefully. Yes. And where we do internalize this identity from a disempowered place. Mm -hmm. And so this is another reason that I like to talk <laughs> to people, you know, white people over here, <laughs> people <laughs> over here, because these people need to understand how they're uh, contributing in the system. Mm -hmm. And then what we get to do is to be empowered in the system and say, yeah, mm -hmm. they have um, this, we've carried this experience and internalized something and we get to choose differently mm -hmm. and the times are changing and we get to change the times. Mm -hmm. um, and so the place that says, wherever it might live within you listening, that says, you know what, if I'm doing really well, people aren't gonna support me anymore. Yeah. If I you used to have, have that, that belief, feeling, what'd you say? I have that belief. It wasn't oh, just the people that are going to support me, aren't going to support me, mine was, they will hate me. They mm. will definitely hate me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is big. Thank you for naming that. I had this too, um, even with massive amounts of mounting evidence against it. Mm. <laughs> I still had it. Um, and yeah, so if you if you recognize this within yourself, um, please know that it is normal, one. Mm. And two, I also want to normalize that you can let go of it. Um, and a really powerful experience I actually had this year was, um, so I learned very early on that I could get scholarships, right? And as, uh, you know, a university student in the United States, prices are ridiculous. So in my mind, like, this was my moneymaker. Like, I was just going to get scholarships. Oh, my goodness. Look, applying for scholarships was a full-time job for me. <laughs> Before I went to university, I was like, I was it, like, it is, I, but like, it's so tedious. So you, you oh, had to turn it into a job. I, so my, actually, my university told me that they had never seen a student come in with more scholarships ever in the history of the university. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, do, 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 I hustled, I found them. I'm in a lot of scholarships, I could just use the same essay or whatever. Um, but I had internalized that I needed to basically have somebody else give me money mm. and like I wasn't going to make my own, mm. but based on my identity, um, 
I could, you know, advocate in a way that someone would give me money. Yeah. And that held me back for, oh my gosh, that held me back for so long. And it's so interesting too, because, you know, being a scholar, being on scholarship, being on a fellowship in many cases, or at least in my cases, were fairly prestigious things, yeah. right? Like, and celebrated things. Mm -hmm. um, but celebrated to my own detriment of my identity yeah. as it played into my own ability to be self-sustaining. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I want to be clear when I say this, that the place I'm in now, I will accept a scholarship or fellowship or somebody's yeah. money, right? Because yeah. <laughs> oh. why not? I'm worthy of it. I'll take it. The yeah. distinction is that before I thought, that was the only way and I needed that. Mm -hmm. I needed to be saved by someone's money, right? Mm -hmm. So this is, if you can see me physically, if not, you can just imagine it. Um, I often talk about pendulum swings and the extremes that we can go to mm -hmm. that are equally emotionally charged. So that charge was, I can't do this by myself. I need someone else to give me something. Yep. The other extreme I then went to, once I worked through that, pendulum swung in the opposite direction to, I cannot take anyone's money. I've got to do this, right? This is where people get stuck on what I call the independent woman pedestal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's be real. You do not hear a man say I'm an independent man. You never hear that ever. <laughs> this is the a la Beyonce style independent woman fallacy. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so in between these two extremes is a place where the charge is not there that says mm. I can I can be independent, I can receive, and I don't have to be one or the other. I get to show up in my fullness. I get to know that I have an interdependent relationship with the universe and the world around me. It is safe to receive, it is safe to um, create for myself, um, and I can show up in any of those. Um, in order to specifically around money in order to have more money hold more money grow that money mm. right so find yourself in this pendulum analogy if you will um yeah. where is the charge strongest for you and maybe you go back mm. and forth between the two saying like i'm super independent and then feeling like you're quote caving and asking for support right mm. and the feeling that can have you go between the two mm. um and i just want to normalize that they are all valid. There's nothing wrong with any of them. It's understanding where, where do you personally feel most empowered? And, and in the places where you don't, what can be shifted? What can you believe about your own identity, about who you are that can support that shift? Oh, thank you for sharing that. I mean, like I resonate with that so much. So when I was at the other pendulum shift, which I think I've shared here before, which is I went off to varsity, like right after university, I had like this obsession with, oh my God, I don't want to be alone in the world. You know, like what's going to happen? Like I, my entire life at university had been up until university had been curated for me, even though I had this desire for travel and freedom and everything. Once yeah. I finally got it, I was like, oh, someone needs to tell me what to do, right? Yeah. And then it was so scary because now the big wide world is open to you and 
what if and for me i was like what if i make a mistake (gasps) what if i do the wrong thing oh my gosh and then i came up with this idea i need to get married (laughs) but i was very anti-marriage externally so people are probably like what we didn't even know you had this like yeah externally i had like my feminist stances and everything but deep down i was like it wasn't about the marriage itself. Cause I always say this, like I've never, and I'm still not that woman that has always been like white dresses, etc. I've always assumed that one day I'll come home and be like, Oh, okay. Like I'm doing this thing, get food, get like, get it done. And I've always assumed that I'm that person. But then I was just like, no. So after varsity, I developed this insane obsession, which wow. was, I think if I get married, so even though I was traveling and doing all this epic stuff, it was at the back of my head that if I get married, then at least it will be two of us making the mistakes. I won't be making the mistake on my own. I'll have someone else to do that with. And as they say in Kosa, I went in, got engaged, and it was hot. That's literally the translation. It was hot and there, guys. I was like, no, like, wow. Okay, I was like, nope. On second thoughts, I, I'm willing to do my work. Like, I'm going down the aisle with yeah. the, like, no, mm-mm. I was like, I have to pick a struggle and I pick me. Like I need to work on this fear. Not that I didn't love the guy, right? It was that. I'm sure he was great, whatever. (laughs) He was great, all that stuff. But the thing is, a huge part of it was I was also coming from this place of, I don't, I don't want to be alone. Oh my God, I'm going to make a bad mistake in life. Like there is a way to do life. You have to do this do this, get kids, all that. And then like, when I was on the path to that, I was like, my soul is dying. <laughs> it was yeah. screaming, like my life is suburbia in, in the US, suburbia, white picket fences, everything, PTA meetings. Mm. Oh my God, I can't see this. Like, yeah, this is not who I am. So yeah, <laughs> I completely get that. <laughs> and that was... So I had to swing back. And then for years, I was at the extreme opposite, which was spoken about, which is and I swung from, I need someone to look after me. I can't do this alone. Oh my yeah. gosh, I'm not that strong to super independent. Right, <laughs> exactly. Two sides of the same coin. It's truly two sides of the same coin, right? Like yeah. somebody saved me or like, oh, I'm, I don't need anyone. So I won't. Um, yeah. I won't burden you by asking for support, right? So it's in a similar way telling yourself you're not worthy and relating it, projecting it in a different way um, on the outside world. But (laughs) look, y'all, like ask your fellow men, like, (laughs) are you an independent man? Like, they don't say that. They just say, I'm a grown ass man. Right, this is this is very much a, a socially uh, woman not not womanized, but a socially ingrained concept around women, and I do mm. think um, a lot of it is perpetuated by, unfortunately, the culture I come from. <laughs> this, you know, Americanized uh, individualistic culture, 
Um, yeah. No, but in South Africa too, my mom, like, so why I think I also swung to that was I just tapped into my childhood beliefs where my mom would say to my sister, like, if you want to marry a doctor, be a doctor. If you want to marry a millionaire, be a millionaire. <sighs> like, it's like basically marry yourself. You know? Yeah, I think that's a good takeaway. That's <laughs> a good like if she ever listens to this episode and we get to this, she'll be like, Yeah, that, that sounds like a good idea. I promise you, this is how she feels. <laughs> it's like so growing up in that environment, I completely understand it. But and I understand, like a lot of our parents came to be who they are as mothers in that age of women first being the first to go to work to hold great positions all that and so we are then that generation that was raised by these women and so we then have some of those deep (laughs) beliefs but it is two sides of the same coin because you know what happened so at the i need someone to look after me i literally did attract a man that was like paying for absolutely everything you Mm. know Absolutely. When I say absolutely everything, I mean it. And then when I swung to the independent women, women stage and like, oh, yeah, I was want to say at this part, the other side, like I was getting gifts from men that were like holiday homes, cars, clothes, guys was getting cars in my name, everything, not having to do much of anything except exist and breathe. And on the side, when I've been going through the independent women stage, Lisa, can I please just tell you? that stage has traumatized me also because I was like, I was paying my own dinners, even coffees. I was just like, what just happened? I went from getting all these things. <laughs> like now I'm like paying my own dinner. <laughs> what is going on? And like, I'd be like relationshiping with men who will be like, so, you know, if we do this, you know you're going to have to pick up most of the tab, the most yeah. of the tab, right? Because you're probably making more than me. What is going on? <laughs> no, I'm sorry. I've been traumatized by both sides, guys. Like, I feel like extremes can miss me. Like, I want a happy middle. And maybe swinging more to the side where I'm not buying my own dinner. Thank you very much. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I, um, I, I wanted to hit on two things you said, because you talked about the fact that we were raised by, um, you know, mothers and women who were like the first to do something. Yeah. Um, but also another huge thing we haven't talked about yet is the sense of competition. Um, mm. And when we are the first, or let's say our, our parents, whoever, we're the first mm-hmm. to do something, there's this concept of like the token spot. Right, like what is diversity higher, quote unquote, Um, and trying to compete for that one spot in a sea of of white people doing something else, right? Um, And that, and you know, the '60s, the these years that that generation um, was going to work, there maybe was only one spot, right? Like that that kind of spirit made sense. and what I find with being in the independent woman stage is that like that fighting, 
Like I gotta, compete, I gotta do the things. I gotta be everything to everybody. Mm-hmm. Do it all by myself, and my success is only real if I did it all by myself, which is a complete fallacy. Mm-hmm. No one actually does everything alone. True. Even if you're building a business, and I suspect client, that's why people yes. won't get mentors. Sorry. What'd you say? <laughs> Sorry. Please uh, continue. I'll, I'll say everything. No, I was just saying, I suspect that's why people won't get coaches and mentors, especially within oh, um, yes. sometimes a lot of black women, they feel like they have to do it themselves. And I was yes. that woman, so a lot, me. <laughs> but guys, I'm telling you, I did swing to an extreme, like, gosh, no. <laughs> same, same, yeah. And it's the... Yeah, this idea that if you're asking for support, then you're failing, um, mm. right? Um, right when we're swung on this side, like here, it's like if I don't get support, I'm not gonna live, or <laughs> I'm not gonna just do anything. Over here, it's if I'm asking for support, I'm something's wrong with me. If I'm asking for support, I'm failing. If I'm asking for support, um, and I don't know how this translates in South Africa, but in the U.S this concept of people who quote unquote receive handouts, the stereotype is typically applied to black people. Mm-hmm. Um, when people talk about the welfare system, food stamps, right, government assistance, even though statistically way more white people receive it in the US, yeah. there's this stigma, right? So people in this independent woman phase, no. that's the an- antithesis, right? That's the like, mm-hmm. I'm not gonna receive a handout. I'm mm-hmm. fighting for everything I've got. Um, and when, uh, you talked about the things your mom said, when I was a kid, my mom said, it's a little bit of a topic change, but it's relevant. My mom (laughs) said that, um, what was her phrase? Oh, her phrase, when it came to relationships, her phrase was that love is not enough. It's so funny. Actually, I have this gorgeous (laughs) ring, but I'm not wearing it today, but anyway, (laughs) 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 we're talking about relationship, like, Oh, noticing I'm not wearing um, well, we all be, like. I feel isn't that like a thing on social media though? Like right now, love is not enough. Don't get married for love. love oh, really? I haven't seen that. Yeah, we don't get, oh, okay. we get married for love now. <laughs> My mom said that to me when I was. I want to say I was seven, um, and she said it quite a bit. I don't know what she was going through, but she was wanting to make sure that I knew <laughs> that love was not enough. Um, <laughs> And then she talked about her follow-up sentence would be about financial stability and security and stuff. And I remember having a really strong reaction, literally yelling back, or I don't know if she thought I was yelling, but I felt like I was yelling Um, and calling her, I called her a gold digger. (laughs) I was like, you're, I was like, that's not true, my gold digger. And what that moment created for me was a belief that it wasn't safe to have both. And so in my relationships, (gasps) I got into, even at the beginning of my, well, now we're married, but even at the beginning of our time together, like I basically created this romanticized idea of being broke (laughs) and in love. At age seven. (laughs) I'm sorry. And I realized it. I literally manifested it. And get this, y'all. Get this. So my husband, amazing, amazing. Love this man. And he's doing super great financially now. He had also manifested this. So he's a musician. We're both musicians. Yeah. One of his earliest albums, it's his favorite song of all of his earliest albums, (laughs) is literally called 
young and broke. <laughs> and the lyrics oh of chorus. You can find it on Spotify. Listen to it if you want it right now. The lyrics of the chorus say, Darling, there's nothing wrong with being young and broke. And he repeats it a couple times. And then the end, being young and broke and in love. And the reason I say he manifested it too is that my maiden name is Young. Okay, <laughs> young, broke, and then we were in love. Like, yeah, he got exactly what he was singing about. <laughs> um, and then I tried to create a remix of his song when I realized this, he didn't like me remixing his song. Um, <laughs> but, you know, we both realized like, hey, we actually set out to be broken in love. <laughs> Very different ways, but we got to the same point, and so we manifested this element of of struggling around money. Like we both apparently thought that that was oh my <laughs> god, oh my god. But we needed to like break down these constructs that were subconsciously living, and became first they become conscious, and then we get to you know parse them. You know, we both make six figures now in our own, or <laughs> me multiple, but like yeah, so. We've moved past that point. <laughs> I'm glad, actually. Wow, young and broke. But I guess that's the thing. <laughs> oh my God. You went into full rebellion against your mother because you had love and financial stability. You're like, I'm not going to be like you. You are a gold digger. And I am going to fall in love and be broke. And it's yes. going to be romantic. Exactly. That's what I had. That's, yep. No, that's, I laugh because that's the one thing I've never had illusions about. For me, guys, I'm not going to lie. If we're in love and we're broke, please know that like my nervous system is already all over the place and I'm making an exit plan. Like I can't do it easily. Like yeah. I must really, really love you. And I love hard, but <laughs> I will I will admit like <laughs> broken in love is not very romantic. <laughs> but it's the thing, right? You don't need to do it. That was what we initially created. Um and so all of this to say when you listening, when you kind of take stock, inventory of what are these beliefs I have around how money is supposed to go, how I'm supposed to be with money. Am I supposed to struggle with money? Am I not supposed to have more than a certain amount of money? Am I supposed to have to work really hard? Because society loves talking about how hard people work and how they quote, we love earned her. it, or they deserve the success because they worked hard. <laughs> right? These ideas that are so deeply ingrained. And in fact, um, maybe I'm not sure if you've shared this in other episodes around the mastermind. Um, but one of the big things that came up for a number of women is the ability to be receiving more and actually selling full out, selling out their programs when they weren't working really quote unquote yeah. hard, but rather just chilling. <laughs> no, everybody knows that that's my stance in life. So that's yeah. another thing. It's like if, you expect me to work hard. That is something that has never really been seen in this lifetime. So in South Africa, we have Makoti duties and like wife duties where you go to the in-laws and you ask like, 
Actually, okay. one guy, my first ever boyfriend dumped me because he's like, I don't think you will ever be able to do Makoti duties. You're going to embarrass me with my family. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for the compliment. Wow, he was like, evidently, your parents have been very liberal with how they brought you up because you clearly don't know any of this. I was like, I don't like, honestly, that is, I didn't even know that was a thing until we had that conversation. I was like, I can't believe I'm being dumped because I don't, it's obvious that I won't do wifely duties. (laughs) I didn't know that the dating was the auditioning for such, but whatever. (laughs) For oh yeah, it is so funny. So Lisa, how you have dramatically changed your money story, and I love this. So after I signed up for the mastermind, I then started to read up on your Facebook. And before then, I was like, energetically, I like Lisa. You know, so, I want to celebrate like, that trust. I, by the way, when she says I signed up. Vanille and I had never had a phone call. We had never spoken. Um, I mean, we could say, and I do believe this is true, that we definitely <laughs> communicated through the ether, but there yeah. was no official discussion in this no. 3D realm. I didn't even know what the mastermind was. I had never seen a sales page. I didn't know Lisa from Adam. I was just like, you are the person I want to sign up with. And like, I just made the decision based on what my guides and my spirit and my energy told me. And that was that. Like, there was just no anything. And I don't regret that. It's been like one of my best decisions. I've absolutely. I want to celebrate that because that is an abundant way of being, of saying, I'm trusting something within me. All the way, also, by the way, um, from my side, I hadn't known who Vanile was. Um, a former coach of hers posted in a Facebook group. I have I have this client looking for da 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 Her name wasn't even in the post, but I was just like, No, oh my, my name God. was not in the post. That guys. woman, I, I just knew whoever she was talking about. I was like, I was like, I love this woman. <laughs> like, I love Vanile. I didn't know it was Vanile. It was just a person being vaguely described in a Facebook post by somebody else. Um, yeah. But to make these, and I think this is, I want to highlight this because gifts, when we talk about living from our gifts, mm. it means we trust our intuition. It means we trust ourselves. And so in a world that says we must have data, I want to celebrate that you took your personal data, which was yeah. your energetic awareness and alignment which is the most abundant thing we'll ever feel. (laughs) Even if your bank account says zero and you are feeling this full energetic alignment. I didn't even know what the price was, by the way, guys. I was like, I don't care. Like, I was like, I knew it would be five figures in US dollars. But I was like, I just don't care. It's a yes for me. And Lisa was like, you don't even know the pricing. You haven't seen the sales page. I was like, I am in. (laughs) <laughs> like, my entire self is in. I I love it when I make decisions like that. And I actually very rarely regretted a decision that was made from that space. And I love what you say, that that is an abundant way to make decisions. Because yes. a lot of my decisions that I make that are like that about travel, countries that I go to, I won't even know how expensive a country is. I won't even know the currency of the country. And I'll be like, that's where I'm headed next. I don't need to know everything else. 
everything else will come together. And that's how I've always, always traveled, just like how I did with you. And I mean, look at us now. Like, it's just, it's, it was the right decision. But what I find back to intuition before we go into the money stuff is that a lot of people, their intuition says yes. They don't trust that. That Right. And what they do is then they go and they look for all the data, all the logical stuff, all the right to support what their intuition is saying. I'm just like, it doesn't doesn't work like that. You know, I was just like, if my intuition is at a yes, I know the money is going to be at a yes as well. It's Uh all going to come. I know what I need to learn in this program is going to be here. Yes. It's a yes. It's a yes for a reason. And yes. my entire being said yes. So, yeah, the first time I ever spoke to Lisa was literally in the mastermind. She had not seen me, my voice, nothing. And say, I mean, she'd heard my voice through the voice notes, but she hadn't seen me. We didn't know anything about each other. And I was just like, this, this is good for me. It's perfect for me. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's how, <laughs> and Nathan, my husband, um, when I first met him, I honestly didn't even think he was physically attractive. And it wasn't because he wasn't. I, I look at him now, I'm like, oh, you're so hot, whatever. My soul saw his soul. My attraction was backwards to the way most people talk about meeting someone and falling in love, right? It's like they see something and then they get to know their mind and then they have an emotional connection. But it was the exact opposite. It was like my soul was like, whoa. <laughs> And then my emotions were like, whoa, my soul did a thing. And then I got logical about it. And then one day I was like, oh, he's pretty, pretty good looking. <laughs> and I just normalized this way of operating in the world that says data, data, data. Um, yeah. Because another thing, too, is that so many of the world's most successful people, household names, know this. Mm. Know this. And operate this way. Right, that is why you see people can take such massive risks, get $300 million loans, because they're Mm -hmm. trusting something. They are, to bring us full circle to the beginning, they are creating something and they're trusting the vision of what they're creating, Mm. okay? And then, because the world's like data, they find ways to justify and share. And if you listen to many interviews, you can actually hear people dance around it. They don't specifically say it mm-hmm. always. They might. I, I've only experienced it very rarely, but people will say, like, I just went for it. Or they might try to write justify mm-hmm. with data. But the point here is that this part, the operation on trust, yes. the willingness to give away the last dollar and then the next day receive the job or hundreds of thousands or whatever. My whole life, you've just... Yeah. Yes, yeah, so you've just defined, this is how I literally operate for most things. Like I say, with countries, it's oh like people are yeah. like, you don't yeah. even research a country. I've yeah. never researched a country when I landed <laughs> on, in that country. I'm just like, oh. Yeah. And sometimes I'll be like, oh, I don't like live like with Sri Lanka. I don't like booking Airbnbs that I share with people. But for whatever reason, I was like, hmm, I'm going to book an apartment three days or four days after I land in Sri Lanka. And then I'm going to just book this random house where it's shared with this other woman called Mangala. And now she's like my Sri Lankan mom. 
right? Oh. And it was just so random that I made that decision when I've never made that decision like that before. And I was just like, for some reason in this country, I need to go here. And I don't question it. And it like it literally changed my entire life. I mean, like I moved to Sri Lanka. It changed my whole life, that one small decision. But like, I didn't try to justify it. I didn't go like, oh, why am I doing this? I never do this. I was just like, this is how I'm going to go about this entire experience, you know? And I think that has changed. This is, for me, I've had like the most incredible travel experiences. And a lot of that has been just through trusting intuition. And it doesn't have to make sense. Like for most people, they'd be like, oh my God, you really, it's a high ticket program. Don't you think you want to first investigate, do this, do that? I was like, no. Like, (laughs) my intuition says yes I know at the end of the day I'm going to say yes all that investigation I'll just figure it out in the process so I love that and I actually just gave um was that last week yeah I actually just paid fifty thousand dollars U.S. in cash before going to an event to um to hire my next coach and I'm just like cool and the interesting thing was um and I know you want to talk about my money story so so obviously you can hear now I'm feeling quite abundant to just give 50, yeah. 50K to somebody. <laughs> yeah. um, but um, I knew before she had, she was hosting a three-day event. Yeah. When it comes for me, when it comes to big decisions, I'm 100% decisive, decisive because I'm operating from this place. Mm. Now ask me about what I'm eating for dinner tonight and then you can hear like, I don't know, maybe there's this, there's because um, <laughs> clearly I'm not operating from trust when it comes to my dinner. Yeah. But when it comes to important decisions that will put me on a particular tra- trajectory in my life, um, yes, 100% operating from trust. And for those listening, if you do travel, um, I think travel is a really, or even if you're just listening and going, how do I cultivate this trust they were talking about? I don't trust mm-hmm. anything travel and immersing yourself in a place that you do not know especially if you don't know people in it to support you is a really great way to learn to trust your intuition because if you don't understand the language if you don't understand what direction you're going in or how things are operating there you have to start listening to something so where's the direction coming from it's going to start coming from within you Um, i I love that recommend even if you're traveling with a plan to let yourself get lost for a day <laughs> or let yourself not have a plan and see yeah. what comes to you to do um, as a means of practice. And not travel. And I think also solo travel, right? Which yes. is what you've yeah. also done a lot of. So cool. what I see a lot of people do is that like, oh, I'll only travel when we're in a group or when we're with buddies. But then you have other people that you can rely on. But like, I really tell people to do your solo traveling right it's so so important <sighs> yeah totally, totally so guys this has been amazing i will have lisa on another time to talk oh, about so she has this incredible story about how she made a hundred thousand dollars in two weeks and oh, how yeah. she extended to that uh, to that level i wanted us to get there but we will i'm gonna have her on again for another podcast so do stay tuned <laughs> Um, Lisa, people are probably listening to me 
and they've heard all the other masterminds um, <laughs> clients that you've got talk about you and they're wondering how can I get this woman and how do I get hold of her and have a conversation with her and learn about her programs how can people get hold of you and work with you yes the easiest way oh I just realized like will my name have changed on the internet by the time this airs <laughs> it might have um <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you know what? I'll keep it up just for this. Okay, so my name, Lisa Denon Young. I'm the only one in the world with this name. So you can find it L I S A D E N N E N Y O U N G, young, like not old, but young. Um, on, I'm super active on Facebook, Instagram. My website's lisadenyoung.com. Um, so you can find me and message me in any of those places. Um, I also have the music medicine membership, which is if you're wanting to experience what it is to be in a program, the membership is actually an opportunity to receive bits and pieces of the djembe that, <laughs> that Vandana shared. Um, it's basically a uh, sound healing and using music as medicine to support the healing and clearing of these various, you know, these energetic blocks, emotional blocks, ancestrally held wounds, et cetera, um, so that you can call it and amplify more of what you want to experience. And even just with various sound healings that folks have attended over time, people talk about more money came as a result of this. I, I made the decision, I took the leap, I did the thing. Mm -hmm. um, so that in and of itself, you can experience the changes there. Um, and what's really cool also about the music medicine membership is that it's, um, it's low cost. It's meant to be accessible and there are sponsored positions. So, um, some of the mastermind women actually offered to sponsor those who don't have the money and want to be in the membership. Um, so this is really the, the place where I'm focusing most of my attention in the name of collective empowerment, in the name of us coming together from around the world, having our voices elevated and doing it in a way that's truly liberating. So that would be my first recommendation. I do have private coaching available. Um, I don't know if it will be available by the time this airs, it might be sold out. <laughs> um, but you're welcome to check. You're welcome to check. Absolutely. I, I would invite uh, you to reach out, send a message, say hi. Um, no. I love socializing. <laughs> so, oh, guys, Lisa is awesome, yes. as you can hear, as you've heard, and you can see yeah, here. Thank you so much for your time, Lisa. And guys, Absolutely. do reach out to Lisa. If you guys have enjoyed this episode, please go to iTunes. Look for the Money Magic Podcast and give us a five-star rating and leave us a review. Thank you for your comments on YouTube. We love those. Thank you for, um, and do follow us on uh, Podbean or comment on Podbean as well. And do share this podcast episode with all your friends and family. And if you're loving the Money Magic Podcast, go check out all the other episodes with all the other guests that I've had. They were equally as fun. Thank you so much, Lisa. Thank you so much, Money Magicians. I will Bye. see you guys in the next episode. Thank you so much. Take care. Bye. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. 
If you find this podcast helpful and enlightening, please can you do me a favor and go leave the podcast a five-star review on iTunes or leave a comment on YouTube. And of course, share it with your family and friends. I would really appreciate it because it would help other money magicians who are looking to change their relationship with money find this podcast, which would really make my day. Also, as a bonus, if you're interested in changing your spending habits, I have a complimentary ebook for you. You can download it at wealthy-money.com forward slash workbook. Again, wealthy-money.com forward slash workbook. Have a fantastic day further and I look forward to seeing you on the next episode of the Money Magic Podcast.